Hey everyone, welcome to episode 86 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? Not much. I did not get to go to Philly this weekend, but you were up there. I Yeah, I did. I went up there. One of the, for one of the three major modern tournaments happening <laughs> right. this weekend. Right, yeah. There was a lot of modern tournaments happening There's this so weekend. There's so much. Yeah, a lot of, and a lot of info for us to digest. So yeah. that's also pretty good. Yeah, a lot of yep. info pointing towards... Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of <laughs> Pointing in one direction, again. Um, and that makes sense. Yeah. I think. Uh, Phoenix is great. It's very uh, powerful. So... You know, yep. <laughs> that's kind of like that. And that's all, folks. So tune in next week for. <laughs> right. I mean, what more analysis could possibly need to be done? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So so we'll talk about that. We're talking about modern today. We're also going to talk about standard a little bit, mostly because I am the standard seat for Cincinnati next weekend for my team. Oh, yeah. So I've been working on it and I've got thoughts. I know there's only like 30 other people in the world playing standard next weekend, so. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, if you're going to be in Cincinnati in the standard seat, then then stick around. Yeah, there should be plenty of them. Yeah. It'll be great. So, want to take a second and thank our patrons. Really appreciate the support. Uh, new stuff will be coming very soon. Also have been working on trying to make sure that the podcast is available on as many platforms as possible. So I've submitted it to Spotify. It should be up there by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I know it took a little long to get there. Uh, I didn't didn't quite like click how many people were starting to use Spotify for podcasts. So now I want to make sure that we're up there. Uh, we are on Google Play Music. I think I am actually the only person who uses Google Play Music for podcasts. <laughs> the one. <laughs> uh, but now I can listen to our podcast <laughs> at any time with my preferred podcast app. Yeah. And so, yeah, if, if you want to support us, definitely would appreciate you checking out the Patreon. But also, since we're on all those platforms now, whichever platform you use, if you take a second out of your day and rate us uh, or write a review or something, that actually really helps a lot in uh, helping us to show up when people search for podcasts and that sort of thing. Cool. Why don't we kick things off with a Keeper Mall? This one comes out of our Discord. Grimms has been playing a lot of Phoenix, and so this is a hand, and there's a couple interesting things to talk about here outside of just the keeping a hand. Yep. Um, so this is game two against Grixis Death Shadow. We're on the draw because Grimms has adopted a philosophy of being on the draw in post-board games against Death Shadow. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that a little more after we talk about the hand. But for now, the hand is one land, a mountain, two faithless lootings, an arclight phoenix, a lightning bolt, and two opts. Um, so sort of classic one land cantrip hand. Yep. But with phoenix, there's some more complicated stuff going on here. Yeah. Um, in that we do have the phoenix, which is a payoff for looting. Yeah. Um, and we do have a bolt, which is... Just very bad in this matchup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, kind of mathematically analyzing this hand, I think, is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Which is, so we have our mountain as our only uh, land for now. And we have two ops in our hand. And, you know, of course we need blue to function as a deck. Yep. So we're going to need to find a blue source. Um, but we've got two faithless lootings. Yep. And we're on the draw. Yeah. So that equates to six looks on time to hit our blue source. Mm -hmm. And I think six is plenty. That's a whole other hand, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
because um, we get our, you know, we get our first draw step, we get two off of the Faithless Footing, and mm-hmm. then we get our next draw step and two off of the next Faithless Footing. So I, I like this hand. I think it's a keep. While it's not ideal if we have to Faithless Footing twice, just because of the card disadvantage, mm-hmm. because, you know, if it, it's always a bad look when you lead off on your Faithless Footing and then you're casting blue spells the next turn, right? right. You, you, you know... Uh, sometimes that's even an indication that your Phoenix opponent isn't very good when they turn one Faithless Looting off of a blue land and then their next turn is like Opt Serum Visions or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a good look. But, you know, we have Mountain, we're restricted here. And we're free-rolling a little bit because we've already got the first Phoenix. Exactly, and that was, yeah, that's going to be my oh, next sorry. Point. No, you're good. <laughs> the, uh, so we, the, our card disadvantage is mitigated already by being able to discard our, our first Phoenix, uh, and that, you know, being able to discard a Phoenix feels like drawing a card a lot of the time. So yeah, so it's a slightly mitigated. And if we do draw more Phoenixes, then it's all of a sudden great. You know, as long as we draw another land. Somehow, whenever I already have the first Phoenix, the second Phoenix just gets sort of like magnetically like pulled to the top of the deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and your opponent just kind of like lets their shoulders fall <laughs> and defeat as two Phoenixes hit the graveyard. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty good. I, I've been playing a lot of Sneak and Show lately, and mm-hmm. I was uh, just on Discord with uh, my teammate Will Pulliam earlier this morning, and uh, he was like, uh, yeah, all the fatties, uh, they travel in herds in the deck. <laughs> They're all together all the time, and you either have a handful of, like, three fatties, or you have you just can't ever find one. <laughs> See, but in Phoenix, that's, like, a huge positive oh, it's great. when that happens. Oh, it, absolutely. <laughs> it, you know, the Phoenixes travel in, I don't know, what a Phoenix... Uh, a, a squadron. Of, a squadron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> collection of Phoenixes, for sure. Um, but yeah, I like this hand. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a keep. Six looks, for me, is plenty. For a blue source, you run, what, there's like 16 in the deck. It's a lot. Should be um, 17, usually. How many lands does it run? Um, well, so, yeah, the deck usually runs 18 lands. Uh, actually, a lot of lists run two mountains. I don't like running two mountains, though. Okay. Um, the mountain is the worst land in the deck, Yeah. which is why I don't... Like, one, one of the problems with this hand is, like, our turn two can't be opt-opt Yeah. Um, because we're playing a mountain. We're going to find time... You know, as long as we hit a land, we're going to find time to cast all the, the cantrips in our hand. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, sure. Unless we're getting turn threed by, by a death shadow. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> but that's just a thing that happens every yeah. once in a while. So, yeah. So, so like, for my list, I usually try not to run the second mountain because it, I don't feel like it does that much for you. You want one to fetch to be able to bolt against burn without taking too much damage. Mm-hmm. Past that, though, the utility of the second mountain feels pretty low to me in general. Yeah. Um and, and can really mess up some of your turns where you just want to like serum visions opt or something like that. So No, I understand for sure. Uh yeah, there have been two camps for me on that. Um and the camp that is pro second mound in this deck mm-hmm. uh comes from a lot of people who just think that basic lands are great. And they just want to have as many basic lands in their deck as possible. I'm sympathetic to that. But in modern, it's mostly non-mountain basic lands are great. No, yeah, I, I, I feel that for sure. But you know, the the deck is really heavy red, and in, in especially yeah. you know post board when you're on your like uh, removal Chandra, spell yeah. plan, you yeah. know, just like playing as humans, and your deck is all uh, right. removal spells. It, it's not terrible. Like yeah. it's not wrong to run the second mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just have drawn the second mountain every once in a while, and it's sure. been like not, not great. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so the second thing to talk about here, I would definitely also keep this hand on the draw. Yeah. Um, I think Faithless Looting just really allows you to. Um, the second thing to talk about briefly here is that um, 
you know, this is game two, we lost game one, and this is a hand that we're keeping on the draw. Um, and so uh, Grimm's in our chat has been playing a lot of Phoenix, and he feels that it's correct to be on the draw post-board versus Death Shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the logic that he used to explain that is basically like, they're going to take your best couple of cards either way. Um, yeah. w- whether it's through Thoughtseize or through Fatal Push on your thing in the ice, they're, you're going to one-for-one trade resources for the first like two turns, and that's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And you want to put yourself in the best position to be top-decking good stuff against them, and that means being up a card... Um, And I am sympathetic to that. I think it is rare that you just straight up tempo out the Death Shadow deck as Phoenix. Yeah. Because most of your tempoing out draws involve Thing in the Ice. And post-board, they're up to like four Fatal Pushes and two Dismembers or something like that. And are they running Surgical these days? Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised. Everybody should be. (laughs) Especially the Snapcaster decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I can see the arguments for it. Uh, I chose to draw against Death Shadow as... Uh, KCI when I was playing it. Okay. And the logic there that uh, that I heard was that uh, the matchup's so bad that kind of the only way that you win is if they uh, kind of clunk out and, mm-hmm. and don't assemble clockless disruption. And you want to make that, you know, it easier for them to not be functional uh, by putting them on the play and just giving them less resources to work with. Interesting. Um, because Death Shadow is a surprisingly resource-heavy deck but mm-hmm. in kind of unintuitive ways they need to be able to put themselves to 12 or less in order to cast one of their cards and right. that requires a certain number of resources that they need to have it's just you know death shadow inherently isn't that consistent mm-hmm. in my mind um it has a lot of different elements of it and not a lot of like cohesion there they have to kind of draw what they need on time mm-hmm. and just because the deck has so many requirements before right. it hits that threshold yeah of you need to in order to cast a threat in your deck you need to have fulfilled its secondary requirement mm-hmm. whether that's you know six other cards in your graveyard or sure. you're putting your life total lower um you know and then you and then the rest of their spells that they're drawing need to be relevant in whatever matchup is uh you know and and post board that should just be true that all their all their spells should be relevant in the matchup. Right. um but uh it can be tough from the death shadow side to assemble all of the important pieces yeah. and any like slight deviation from that can be pretty difficult i've definitely anytime when my opponent mulligans in modern it's usually not that I don't feel like, all right, we're getting there. I feel like, okay, my opponent is making good decisions. <laughs> right. When my Death Shadow opponents mulligan, though, I feel like, okay, like, we got a real good shot in this one. Yeah, they might just have a non-functional draw, yeah. you know? Because Death Shadow does not mulligan well. Because, you know, if they need to fill up their graveyard uh, to, like, cast one of their threats or put themselves really low, that's, they just need cards to do that. Right. Um, and, you know. Right. Like, like, if they draw a hand that's, like, Three lands of Thoughtseize and two Gurmag Anglers or something like that. Right. Like, what do you do with a hand like that? Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see the arguments, but I, with Phoenix in particular, I'm not 100% sold yet that it's the best plan. Um, yeah. But, you know, if, if people who are playing a lot uh, with it just feel like the way that the games play out when you're on the draw are significantly better, mm-hmm. then, yeah, go for it. I think that choosing to draw in Magic is probably one of the most underrated decision points that can be made right now. So, And it does feel a lot better to Thoughtseize your opponent when you are up a card. Oh, yeah. I, I do think that part of what Grimms is doing here is as a result of his particular build of Phoenix. So he's splashing white and post-board goes up to three... Uh, 
Path to Exiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having that removal that just hits all of the threats out of the Death Shadow deck makes a big difference in the your desire to be on the draw. When you just can't kill a Death Shadow, you probably are more interested in giving yourself the best chance to tempo them out. Yeah. When you can kill Death Shadow for one mana, and you can always kill a Gurmag Angler or whatever without spending an extra card with Lightning Axe, then you know you can play a more controlly role. Also, you can try to catch Teamer Battle Rages. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's just something that the the pure is it build of the deck is really not capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, uh, should we just talk about modern and Let's by modern, modern? I mean, keep talking about Phoenix a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, Phoenix had a phenomenal weekend again. Uh, congratulations to Austin Collins for winning, yeah. winning the Open with Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, also, congrats to my teammate Dylan Donigan for making top eight with Phoenix and having just one of the nicest feature match videos I've ever seen. Um, so you were playing, so you didn't get to see this. Yeah, please tell. Okay. Um, I, I believe he tweeted about it and somebody posted a, a clip. I might have heard the story from Dylan, so Probably. I, might, I might have already heard it's the story. It's a hard we'll see. story not to hear if, if it happened. Like, I'd be yeah. telling this story. Mm-hmm. So Dylan's playing against Dredge. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I heard this from Dylan, but I haven't, I didn't actually realize that it was on camera. Uh, Dredge just has straight up lethal on board. Yeah. Uh, like, no chance that Dredge doesn't kill him on, on Dredge's turn five, I think. Yeah. Uh, Dylan has... A Pyromancer's Ascension. Yeah. And nothing. Right. And the Pyromancer's Ascension is at one counter, I think. Right. Um, Dylan untaps. I think he casts a Manamorphose to put... Or no, he casts like a Thought Scout or something to put it at two counters. Mm-hmm. And then starts digging. Yeah. And then he's got two lands left. Finally hits the Manamorphose. Which is like last second to cast the Manamorphose. You right. need to cast a Manamorphose if you're like doing the going off with Pyromancer Ascension thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you hit the Manamorphose and then it makes two mana... Oh, no, it's good. And then each of those, one, each mana casts two cantrips for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the end of that is on Dylan's turn five on the draw against Dredge. He draws his entire deck, puts like th- two phoenixes into play, and then casts a bunch of copied bolts to kill his <laughs> opponent. Yeah. So it was a real good on-camera thing and, and really made Pyromancer's Ascension look better than it tends to be he loves that card (laughs) and i can see why because you know the games that you like really go off with it it just leaves you with a story like that and you're like yeah why would i ever cut this card from my deck it's great (laughs) and you know uh some other players have been going pretty deep on that card as well i know that uh tariq has been tariq patel has been playing Mm -hmm. um like up to three copies in his phoenix build yeah um, so that's, you know, definitely a statement on his opinion on the card, I think. I tried it, uh, like, the first weekend that I was playing, like, Invitational weekend. Yeah. Um, the During the second cube qualifier tournament, I wanted to cut some of the Crackling Drakes from the deck because the deck originally had way too many Crackling Drakes. Yeah. Um, and I tried a couple of Pyromancer's Ascensions. They were, like, kind of medium for me. I like them more now because they're so good in the mirror match mm-hmm. where the... Board plans allow resources to trade off a lot. You're playing yeah. Beacon Bolts, you're playing right. Planeswalkers, that sort of thing, and and you end up in a pretty low resource game. There's no answer to Pyromancer's Ascension in the mirror. Yeah, you're playing blue and red cards. Those those colors can't get enchantments off the board. Nope. Um, so for that alone, like I think it's a better like Karanos or whatever for the mirror because yeah, it yeah. costs two mana and just right. wins. 
I'm surprised less people are playing uh, Ra's Eric, the new five-mana Ra's Eric. Yeah. I thought that that would have been a better option than Karanos. Yeah. But I did see Karanos in one of the GP winning lists, right? Mm-hmm. But I also saw an Echoing Truth in one of the GP winning lists. So yeah. I guess that's a card that can get an Ascension off of the board if it's <laughs> ticked up a, a and couple it's, times. It's hard to tick that back up to two counters if it gets Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, Matignon's deck had an, a main deck Echoing Truth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's mostly to beat Ensnaring Bridge. Okay. And so one of the main things that I want to talk about today is how to beat Phoenix. Sure. And one of the recommendations is, hey, try Prison out. Yeah. Uh, every single one of these Phoenix decks, I open them all up in tabs and click through to make sure every one of these Phoenix decks has a Shatterstorm on the sideboard now. Yep. And Matignon just went a little further and right. didn't want to lose to the bridge game one either. And that's kind of the thing with this Phoenix deck is that, you know, uh, a lot of the ways that you can attack it, the Phoenix deck can just like adapt really easily. Yeah. You know, the deck is all cantrips. You can you can put one Shatterstorm on your sideboard and and you're so favored to find it. Yep. Um, so you know that's definitely kind of scary for where we're at in modern right it now. It is. It is. And I mean that's that's one of the things that people have really been reacting to. So we saw the results of GP Bilbao, GP Tampa, and SCG Philly, mm-hmm. and some people have combined the meta percentages and. Yep. So it looks like the day two meta percentage for the combined three tournaments uh, is it Phoenix in first place at twenty one point three five percent. Yeah, humans in second place. Surprising. Yeah, um, but well behind at seven point six five percent. Right. Yeah, twenty one percent. Twenty one percent's a lot. Twin got banned at eleven or twelve percent or something. <laughs> right. So this is like twice that. <laughs> I am interested, this doesn't tell us what the conversion rate is for it. Fair. I don't think that the day one field was 20% Okay, Phoenix. That seems very unlikely to me. Yeah. But if the vast majority of good players are playing this deck, yeah. and it's also a sizable percentage of the game one field, right. this 21% number might be a little deceptive. And the other thing is that we're so far into the information age mm-hmm. these days that people are much faster to recognize and adopt the quote-unquote best deck yeah. in modern, right? And, you know, for a lot of the, the top players, you know, card availability just isn't really a, a factor. Yeah. You know, they're going to, they, everybody has connections or whatever, they're going to be able to find the cards that they need for whatever weekend. And I think more and more people are adopting the attitude of, yeah, let's just play the best deck. Yep. Obviously. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I think that these numbers are pretty telling that that's kind of what's going on. But It's also a fun deck that you can pick up and be like, I can play this for a whole GP. Yeah, right, sure. I mean, you get to cast a lot of spells. You get to take a lot of game actions. Yeah. Those, those, those are typically, you know, more fun than... You know, sitting, not taking a lot of sitting game behind an ensnaring yeah. bridge. Or... I was, I was shout out to Jim Davis. I was watching him play Tron this mm-hmm. past weekend, and you know, poor guy, he looked bored out of his mind <laughs> all weekend. He'd be like, "All right, land go," you know, and he was like trying to have some fun with it, and you know, like really rubbing his hands together and just like <laughs> rubbing the top of his library. I mean, like, is it the Tron piece? And he'd draw it, and it like was, and he'd slam it and play a thing and but that was like it or, or wasn't and just be like okay go you know <laughs> it's like and everybody else is like all right 
Metamorphos. You know, like think, <laughs> yeah, think, of, yeah. think of Dylan's turn, right? Okay, you know, Metamorphos. Yeah, literally <laughs> every spell in his entire day. Double cantrip. <laughs> you know, bolt you twice, bolt you twice. Four phoenixes hit you. Just I mean, like, even just the like figuring out, like, all right, gonna cast the Serum Visions first, but I gotta fetch, and now I'm gonna cast my op to get that thing that I put on the top of my deck because I want to cast it this turn. Like, it's very satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it feels like the decisions that you're making matter. You know, it feels like you get to make a lot of minute decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, Jim Davis always plays Tron, though, so he kind of, you know, he knows what he's signing up for. <laughs> if you register Tron in a tournament, you know what you're signing up for. Yeah. I think that, you know, Tron, right under humans in terms of next mm-hmm. most played deck. Um, yeah, I mean, the top decks is, it's like, kind of what we expected to see. Well, I guess humans a little bit less so, but we, you know, you played humans at regionals. We yeah. already were talking about how humans is getting to be a, a less terrible choice if you build it correctly. Yeah. The um, number of gut shots in the format's gone a lot, gone down yeah. a lot. If um, I'm humans and my opponent is main decking two or three surgical extractions, that's very good for me. No, absolutely. Yeah. Just don't get, you know, don't get surgical in response to activating a vial. Yeah, that's like a very weird sequence that I've had it happen to me on my boat. Yeah, it was not great. My yeah. opponent was a master and sniped my uh, <laughs> Thali's lieutenants. It was not good. Yeah, getting the Thali's lieutenants is actually like weirdly very punishing for the deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a weird game. But anyways, you're no, you're totally right. It's not a good card against humans. No. Uh, and, and so like humans mostly needs to keep the things in the ice under control and also not let your opponent get into a position where they can just block with Arclight Phoenixes and get them back. But, you know, if you built your deck, you know, keep in all your reflector mages, bring in a couple more answers to thing in the ice. That's problem number one. And then from there, being able to fight through Phoenixes is not an impossibility. The matchup is bad for humans if you don't prepare. I'm not sure how good it gets if you prepare, but it's probably not a terrible matchup if you yeah. know how to play you it. You just need the right tools. Yeah. Um, one thing I did learn, though, is uh, don't play Surgical Extraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played it in uh, Regionals in the Cyber of Humans just because okay. I was like, yeah, I'd be able to get Phoenix and Dredge with yeah. this. But the game plan post-board against Phoenix, you need as much gas as possible. Yep. All of your spells need to be real creatures that can present some sort of threat to your opponent. Okay. And if you are drawing surgical extractions, yeah, you're going to get their Phoenixes. But then, you know, it's just, you know, if, if the Phoenix opponent wanted to trade all of their Phoenixes in their deck for, like, a card in my hand, I think they would take that mm. trade. Because they just want to one-for-one me out of the game and then kill me with whatever. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a major thing. So I think we should spend a decent section of this modern talk talking about how to beat Is It Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important point. And I wanted to talk about specifically, if you're an aggressive deck, you're not in a bad place against Phoenix, just in general. Generally. If right. you're if you're burn, if you're you know, beating down in some way. Phoenix loves for you to play a hate piece against them. Yeah. Yeah. Any non-proactive card that you put in your deck against Phoenix mm-hmm. is a huge win for yeah. the Phoenix player. Um, just try to enact your plan as proactively as possible. And, you know, maybe you bring in some... Like, if you're a proactive deck that's particularly weak to uh, Thing in the Ice, yeah. then maybe you need a couple more answers to Thing in the Ice. Um, I, and I do think that is fine. Yeah, for but sure. like burn doesn't need to care about it. 
humans can have other like tempo positive plays against Sting in the Ice, like um, the Detention Sphere guy is really good. Yep. You know, and you already have all of your reflector mages, so like mm-hmm. that should be enough. You don't need more than like you know six or seven effects like that to right. have a functional game plan against the deck. Yeah, and, and and I think that's a really important thing is when you're messing up your proactive game plan to try to answer the deck that is like is it Phoenix is not a combo deck. We have to emphasize this so many times because yeah. I think and, and you know Lee wrote. A blog post about this, yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I think Corbin Hostler had like a Twitter thread about it. And like the more we say it, hopefully the more people will understand. It's not a combo deck, and post board, it's just Jund, yeah. And if you're playing hate cards against Jund, you're going to lose. Yeah, yeah. The Phoenix player is going to be like, oh, okay, and like loot away the one piece that it was, you know, that your hate piece mm-hmm. was relevant against, and then just continue to be able to play Magic. Yeah. Like, very effectively. Yeah. Okay, so you're down a card because you played this Damping Sphere. Right. I will You're down your tempo because you spent your turn on casting Damping yeah. Sphere, which is huge. S- spending... When my opponent taps two mana and I'm Phoenix and I'm, like, kind of struggling to grind with them or whatever. Yeah. And they tap two mana and, they and then play it's two nothing. just not a threat. Right, yeah. <sighs> it's so good. And then I get to just untap. Right. Like, I'm so much closer to casting my Crackling Drake at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all it takes to win the game. Yeah. If my opponent has an Eidolon in play and they are bolting me, like, I don't have enough time to cast this Crackling Drake in my hand. And, uh, yeah. So, if you just, like, keep the gas going, keep the pedal to the floor, that's so much better than playing hate cards and especially playing hate cards that cost mana. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the best cards I've seen have been, uh, I think, like Tormod's Crypt, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. But if, even if then, I were burned... you know, it really depends on your, like, what kind of proactivity you're trying to apply. Yeah. You know? Honestly, if I were Burn, I would side in zero or one Tormod's Crypts because drawing two is just the biggest disaster in the world. And the Phoenixes themselves are not great at racing Burn's plan. Um, when I'm on Phoenix and I'm playing against Burn, I'm usually trying to mulligan pretty hard for either Thing in the Ice or my sideboard cards because those are the only ways that I can race the like actual Burn's plan. Right. Also consider uh, having some removal for Dragon's Claw because <laughs> yeah, that's a thing that's happening yep. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, sure. The 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 Phoenix decks are a lot lighter on that sort of thing right now because they are getting a little bit inbred trying to beat each other. And when you're spending slots on beacon bolts or threads of disloyalty, yeah, you can't. It it's hard to tight. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Same thing. Out of blue white control, when my opponent casts rest in peace against me, I'm actually kind of relieved because their path to exiles are one time use. Yeah, I think it's more valuable for a deck like Blue White Control to be able to Snapcaster your Path to Exiles than to cut off my graveyard. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And the Phoenixes that you draw are still cards. Yeah. You know, it's still, you know, what's the four mana 3-2 Haste Flyer? It's snare Thopter. Snare, they're, yeah, they're still Snare Thopters. <laughs> Um, that card's, you know, it's not it's not really a modern playable, but in, you know, in long, drawn-out, grindy games against control decks, that certainly it's a that, threat. Against control decks that have, like, spent a card on a hate card are likely yeah. to draw another copy of it in a it's, long game. Yeah, it's still a real magic card that requires a real magic card to answer it. Yeah, so. and they can't cast Jace if you have a 
You know, they have to, like, oh, bless yeah. their Jace or whatever. So. And the number of times that I've seen the Phoenix player be able to just, like, all right, four mana, cast this, kill your Jace, is yeah. just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I think that people just need to lean their play patterns and deck constructions a little heavier towards Phoenix. Uh, and you're not necessarily buying a highly positive matchup towards the deck, but I think the more people understand how the deck plays out and what to actually do to stop it, it is a very consistent deck, but if you start biting into their resources in ways that favor you, like if a blue-white deck is able to path to exile an Arclight Phoenix and then Snapcaster path another threat and then has like a Celestial Purge in hand for when I want to cast my Chandra or something like that, that's enough. That's enough, honestly. Yeah. Um. And, and if you get that early game like that, it becomes very difficult as long as you are prepared for the threats that I'm going to present. If if you're not a control deck, if you're an aggro deck, be aggressive. Like, take advantage of the fact that... Especially take advantage of the fact that Phoenix is spending a bunch of mana on cantrips and stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you can make the, the, like, free creatures that come back from the cantrips not matter that much, whether it's through Reflector Mages or, you know, just racing and the 3-2 body is not being particularly powerful... That's a lot more effective than spending actual cards to try to weaken their plan. Yeah, for sure. I think that probably a lot of the dominance that Phoenix is having right now mm-hmm. partially comes from a lot of people not playing against it very well. Yeah. Um, hopefully that ends up pushing, like, you know, the Magic community is pretty smart. They'll mm-hmm. figure it out. Uh, and hopefully that pushes the these, you know, kind of crazy percentages down. And I think that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'll be interested to check in and see how things are looking in a couple of weeks or yeah. like a month or so. Um, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll have a, a Mythic Championship. We'll have a new set that releases cards straight into Modern. Um, yeah, a lot of changes coming up pretty yeah. soon. Um, and even the, um, the London Mulligan rule right. uh, is, I think, going to have a significant impact Mm -hmm. on the modern format. I don't exactly know what that looks like, but I think it will change to some degree where it's going to make linear proactive strategies a lot better Mm -hmm. and mid-rangey strategies a lot worse. And I think that in general, the proactive strategies are going to be well set up against Phoenix. Yeah. Um, And I don't think Phoenix benefits particularly from the new mulligan rule. Right, you, like, look at the hands we're keeping with Phoenix. You yeah. never mulligan with this deck, anyways. Yeah, and <laughs> kind of. Um, Dylan actually made a really good point about the London Mulligan rule that I hadn't considered, which is that all these like you know linear proactive uh, or yeah proactive decks in modern mm-hmm. get like you know the Mulligan decisions are so easy with those decks under this new rule. You're like okay, you know you Mulligan and you're like all right, I know that my proactive strategy needs these pieces the most, and you dish whatever's left over yeah. or whatever. But imagine that you're playing like Jund, and you Mulligan to six, <laughs> and your hand is three lands, a Tarmogoyf. Removal spell, a discard spell, yeah, you know, another removal spell, and you're in the dark, and you don't know what you're playing against, and this fatal push could either be dead or very important, and you're like, okay, what are we yeah. rid of here? I'm not looking forward to those game one decisions about whether to ditch removal or not. Like, yeah, that, yeah, that specific thing, like, there's right. going to be a lot of regrets. Yeah, so you know, I think that that's going to make it a pretty difficult for some of the kind of, like, mid-rangey to control the strategies to, you know, like, not only is the mulligan just, like, not as effective for them, mm. it 
the decisions are so hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, especially in the blind, when you don't know what you're looking for or your cards are all like kind of the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah. But but if um, I'm playing Tron or whatever, like, oh, yeah. I know exactly what to get rid of. Yeah. yeah. Let me keep my Tron assembly yeah. <laughs> package and then my threat and everything else can go away. Yep. You know? <laughs> Speaking of Tron, we're going to talk about a couple of lists that make me a little angry. <laughs> I don't know if angry is the right word. A couple of lists that disturb me. Are we, are we talking about the, the the main deck Thought Not Seer? Yeah, alright. <laughs> SCG Open Philadelphia. We're just clicking through. Top 8 list. 8th place. Mono Green Tron. Alex Sustek. 3 main deck Thought Not Seers. 1 Thrag Tusk. So we've cut down. There are no walking ballistas and three worm coil engines. Where usually you have like five total of those things. Yeah. Which I think is fine. I think worm coil engine clearly much better than walking ballista right now. Yeah. But three O stone. Three O stone. That's an interesting choice. It is an interesting. Choice. I guess you know. I guess O stone just like isn't as good against the format right now as it used to be. Yeah. The one thing I do like a lot about this deck is the main deck Thragtus. I really don't hate main deck Thragtus. That Thrag seems Dusk powerful right now. Is phenomenal against Phoenix. Yeah, that's a um, nightmare card. Yeah, it's not only does it gain a bunch of life, mm-hmm. uh, which can really hinder like the Phoenix clock on you, but it, against the thing in the ice, the card is hilarious yeah. because <laughs> they can bounce it with their thing in the ice. And then you get a uh, blocker, and then you get a yeah, you get a blocker, and you're not taking seven, mm-hmm. and then your thrag just goes back to your hand, and you can cast <laughs> yeah. it again. You know, let's not forget that part. Yeah, you don't want um, your thrag. Yeah. T- you don't want your opponent's thrag tusk in their hand. That's not a good place like, for it. Again, you know, <laughs> it's just like an extra two triggers that they get that yeah. are both value. So yeah, I think that Thrag Tusk is phenomenal right now. So I definitely don't mind it there. Um, I'm I'm pretty into main deck Thrag Tusk. Main deck Thought Not Seer though. Yeah, it's. It's an interesting decision. So the point of the Thought Not Seers generally in Tron's sideboard, and Thragtus to a lesser extent, because it's also a, a totally great sideboard card against most aggressive decks and, yeah, and mid-range decks, but Thought Not Seer in particular is because post-board, it becomes significantly harder to assemble Tron quickly against a lot of decks, whether they're bringing in Fulminator Mages or Blood Moons or whatever, and it it's a nice bridge card to get you from the early game into, like, let me try to mess you up a little bit to buy me a couple more turns, and then you finally make Tron, and you you Tron them out. Yeah. Game one, I'm just having a really hard time seeing the utility here. Sure. Um, um, something that Alex might have figured out is that Thought Seer could just be really good against Phoenix. And, you know, he just wants a lot of that effect. It only dies to Lightning Axe. Bouncing it is, like, you know, good, but kind of fine. Because uh, it doesn't cost a lot of mana to recast. You can cost, you can cast, like, later in the game, you can cast it alongside another threat, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I've played against Tron a lot, and Thought Not Seer post board has just never been the thing that okay. has, like, tripped me up. Yeah. Um, I can see it for sure. It's especially because, you know, you can't really cast it until a turn when you were hoping to have Tron active, anyways. And if my opponent is doing Thought Not Seer stuff with their Tron mana or with their pre-Tron turn four mana or something like that, mm-hmm. that's something that you're just equipped to beat. Yeah. That um, makes sense. For sure. And and the cards in your hand are generally so interchangeable as Phoenix. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it, there it would kind of mostly just be like a, you know, an attempt at resource denial mm-hmm. where Phoenix still needs like a certain density of yeah. of spells to be able to be functional. Definitely. And if you're, you know, 
So I think that like just generally discard is good against that and mm-hmm. not necessarily counts. But, but yeah, no, I'm 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 also relatively skeptical. Yeah. I don't expect this to be stock moving forward mm-hmm. anytime soon. Yeah. If anything, I would just you know, just like change all of those into Thrag Tusks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... down with just a bunch of Thrag Tusks. For thrag sure. Tusks in the main seems great right now. It's um there have been so many times as Tron, when I've just cast a Wormcoil and been like, I really wish this was a, was a Thragtusk right now. Yeah. Because, like, you know, playing against, like, Burn or something, my opponent might just draw the right card and kill me. Yeah. Thragtusk does not allow that possibility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, the the best possible sequence that your opponent can have would be bolting it and then flipping the thing in the ice to deal with all of the things. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have that exact sequence, it's tough. Um, and setting up that exact sequence is actually pretty surprisingly hard because... Often, in order to find your bolt, you're cantripping a lot, and then you, right. all of a sudden your thing's on the counter, and yeah. you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely part of the play pattern of Thing in the Ice, is like, you don't r- really control when your things flip, because you yeah. have to cast so many cantrips to get to your real cards. Yeah, uh, There's some amount of control over it, but I've had many games against Dredge where it's just been really awkward, and I've, I've thought, like, shoot, maybe I wasn't supposed to cast this thing on turn two, because... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to bounce your guys yeah. right now. Right. Yeah, timing is super important in a lot of matchups with Thing in the Ice. Mm-hmm. Dredge, I think, is a, a perfect example of a deck where you really need to time your bounces appropriately. Mm-hmm. I was birding Austin Collins this past weekend, and I watched him play against Dredge. And he just really set it up mm-hmm. really masterfully where he like held, I think, one of his things for an additional turn and then set it up so that he could... Flip a thing, bounce his opponent's board, get in for seven, and then still have the other thing on, like, two counters. And yeah. then the next turn, he could bounce their board again and get in for lethal mm-hmm. uh, with both of the things. But, it, you know, his lines to set that up were very unintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of very puzzled as to, you know, why he was doing this, like, strange sequencing in the way that he was. But, you know, a couple of turns later, I was like, wow, this guy's, this kid's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, of course he won the tournament. Happens so every he once is, in a he while. He is a genius. When but... you're watching Austin Collins. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just like the, the, like the foresight to be able to set that up was, I think, you know, very excellent and, but pretty difficult to, to get to. Yeah. So. That, that is one of the most difficult matchups to play correctly. Mm-hmm. I found I, the, every, like, I want to have video of every match I've ever played against Dredge and go back and, like, find the different lines. Because yeah. I'm confident that I've never played any of them, like... It, yeah, 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 you know. perfectly, for sure. And, and, and there's just so many, you know, you can't let your bouncing their creatures to their hand give them a lethal conflagrate plus dredging a creeping chill or whatever. Like, it's so difficult and you have to be thinking about it so far in advance. Those games are really hard to play correctly. Absolutely. Um, funny that we didn't see Dredge... You know, we've we've kind of the the narrative has been like Phoenix and Dredge, just like Faithless Looting taking over this format. Yeah. Um Dredge really in this like clear second tier of decks below humans, Tron, Burn. True. It had a kind of low metagame win percentage. Or yeah, a low metagame percentage. Day two percentage, yeah. But Dredge having six point two three percent of the metagame and also then putting three copies into the top eight of one yeah. of the tournaments. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see if how many we're in the other top eights, actually, but I'd be interested to take a look at that right now. So none in Tampa at Bilbao, three in the top eight, yeah. and then one in the top eight of uh, Philadelphia. And I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I have heard that Dredge's like top eight conversion rate from day two 
it, like, is pretty... Yeah, I mean, that is pretty high. That's well over 6% for, yeah. of the top eight decks, for sure. That's yeah. four of 24. Yeah, that's um, 16%. 16, yeah, so um, that, is, that is a good conversion rate from its day two percentage. Right, so, you know, Dredge is definitely one of the top contenders. You know, I think that <laughs> Dredge feels like uh, this is my this is my guess on why we're seeing a lower percentage of dredge played. Mm-hmm. Dredge is one of the decks that is played by the kind of player who just wants to give themselves the best win percentage at the tournament, mm-hmm. and that's kind of all that they care about. They're like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want, I don't need my games to be fun. I don't need to do anything <laughs> else. I just want my deck to give me the highest win percentage at the tournament. Mm-hmm. I think that those players right now are just all playing Phoenix. Interesting. Okay. And that kind of dilutes the pool of players who would have otherwise picked up Dredge mm-hmm. because right now it's so clear that Phoenix is the best deck. Yeah. That all the players that are like, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm playing Dredge, you know, it's not great, but I it gives you a really high win percentage and, and that's Dredge. <laughs> Uh, they're all just like, oh, Phoenix is broken right now? Okay, like, hey, let's play Phoenix. So let's have fun and win a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of my guess as to what might be happening there. Yeah. But, you know, we're still seeing a lot of players who decide to play Dredge get rewarded for that. Yeah. Um, I played Dredge last weekend in Philly. Yeah. Kind of a last-minute audible. <laughs> right. I, I uh, gave you my, my yeah, Phoenix deck. You <laughs> gave me your Phoenix deck, which I promptly left at home. <laughs> um, but I had already kind of decided prior to that that I wanted to play Dredge instead. Sure. For, I don't know if I would make this decision, same decision going back. Really? Um, but I just kind of figured that my buddy Evan Whitehouse was telling me that he was really high on dredge. Mm-hmm. Um, all of his numbers indicated that it had a higher win percentage against the field than Phoenix yeah. based on the matchups that he had recorded. And uh, so there were kind of like a lot of like statistical things pointing towards like, okay, dredge might just be the best option. Mm-hmm. So that on top of the fact that I had a, a lot more experience playing dredge, sure. I figured it's just probably better equity for me to play dredge. I, you know, tournament didn't go well for me. I I died to stuff. Yeah. You know? I mean, did you play against like unexpected stuff or the my my the loss that knocked me out of the tournament? I played against I can't remember the card name obviously, but it's a two one for one that's hybrid green white dryad militant. It was a dryad militant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's just turn one dryad militant. And That'll I, beat you. And I you know it was like okay, and I like started to dredge off, and then I hit like a loam. Couldn't dredge it because it got exiled immediately. I hit like a dark blast. Couldn't dredge it. You know, I had yeah. to take some draw steps. And I was like, oh, this card's like low-key really good against yeah. dredge. Yeah. yeah. And I, I initially I thought it would be fine because, you know, I could still hit all my creatures. And I did end up winning that game one mm-hmm. because I was just able to dump a ton of power on the board through the Dryad Militant. But in the post-board games, I just like the spell element of my deck was just off under that card you know no conflagrates you just like can't conflagrate it you can't you know you, you can't, can't flashback you can't faithless looting flashback faithless lootings you're never gonna find a uh, life from the loam mm-hmm. off your dredges uh you're never gonna be able to find a, a dark blast off your dredges right. yeah and your mana yeah. gets really constricted because you can't loam right yeah. but anyways I, not worth talking a whole bunch about right. but I that got, is interesting I got got. yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean i think I completely believe that Evan's numbers showed. Like, I, I I would not be at all surprised if somebody came to me with a pile of numbers and said Dredge has the highest win percentage of any deck in Modern right now. Yeah. Right. Um, its heads-up matchup against Phoenix is quite good. Just especially because 
you're not going to play against Austin Collins every time you play against Phoenix. Yeah. And yeah. the thing in the ice is going to flip at the wrong time and they're going to get conflagrated out <laughs> right. or, you right. know, something like that is going to happen or they're not going to be able to leverage their crackling drakes properly to kill you, which is like an important way that you win that matchup. Just in general, the, they have to have a lot of surgicals to make surgical work as their graveyard hate. And surgical, you know, I, I feel like I've said this a lot before, but surgical used to be the best mm-hmm. hate card against dredge. It is no longer the case. Yeah. Um, Burn plan. Yeah, you just have the burn plan. Like, okay, you're paying two life to get... Four life to get rid of all the creatures in my deck. Right. Um, And I've chilled you... I'm going to chill you four times this game, because Dredge just just does that. Yep. Uh, So, okay, so now we're at 16 damage, and I need to conflagrate you once. I think Phoenix is actually supposed to surgical creeping chills, and then possibly conflagrates most games. Yeah. Um, because you can, you tend to be able to beat the creatures. Yeah, um, and you know, uh, probably the most underrated card to surgical against dredge is life from the loam. True. If you can hit a life from the loam and your opponent doesn't have a third land in their hand, you just win. You, it's so hard. You have to start like you know doing a lot of hard math on you know when you need to dredge and when you need to try to spike a land. <laughs> you know, it's and the statistics just aren't strong there. No. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't afford to do that when you're running Snapcaster Mage. You can burn the first surgical on a, you know... Yeah, generally you don't... Like, the cards that you don't want to hit, which is unintuitive for a lot of new newer players, um, or just players who aren't experienced here, you you don't really care about their Steam Queen Imps mm-hmm. or their Thugs or their, you know, like, other dredge cards. Like, yeah. your opponent's going to be dredging. That's fine. You can beat what's going on there. Right. I mean, if my opponent does something like Cathartic Reunion discarding two Stinkweed Imps... It's a consideration. It's... it's You're, you're close. Yeah. Um, but Certainly yeah, a consideration. I agree. Getting the payoffs tends to be... And then getting the payoffs yeah. that you know are going to matter that game. And definitely a consideration based on how long you expect the game to go. Mm-hmm. If you think that you can just, like, kill your opponent on turn four... Yeah. Yeah, get their, get their early dredge out. Because mm-hmm. then they're going to be floundering for a little bit and you can kill them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you expect the game to go really long and, you know, it's, it's often a line that is not as good as people initially think. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and getting creeping chills and conflagrates is an underrated line because those are kind of their most dangerous payoffs against you when you have access to thing in the ice. So as far as beating Phoenix with dredge goes, because I want a major focus of our conversation to be on on Phoenix. You're focusing on those those burn cards and stuff. You know, any matchup where you don't want to sideboard out creeping chills mm-hmm. is probably a good matchup for dredge. Yeah, and and Phoenix is no exception to that. Yeah, yeah. I I heard a couple of people saying that it's likely that your best target from the Phoenix perspective mm-hmm. against dredge is the yeah. creeping chills. Yeah, it keeps you from killing them and it kills you back. Yeah, right. yeah. Other stuff that beats Phoenix. You know, we've talked about prison plenty, and I think that that is an important part of the puzzle here but yeah just noticing that all of those phoenix decks are running shatterstorm and matinyon had an echoing truth main deck which being a gp winning list that has one main deck like you're just going to see random people running that main yeah. deck echoing truth absolutely for sure black green has also popped up a lot more um i think that it hit you know it's day two metagame percentage it you know was it's up in, there with other up, popular decks exactly yeah. Uh, and I think that that is due to the main decking Nile Spellbomb, and Tarmogoyf is secretly great against Phoenix. 
just a yeah a clock yeah clocks are great yeah Tarwolf is you know it's kind of been uh you know poo-pooed a little lately as a, it's a silly clock but uh you know especially phoenix is just really dumping all sorts of cards in their graveyard mm-hmm. it'll it'll be a, a four or five. Oh yeah oh yeah it so i i had one game the team tournament that i played with is it phoenix where i messed up i got thought seized turn one and I played a fetch land on turn one, which mm-hmm. I should not have done. Yeah. Because my opponent on turn two played a Tarmogoyf. Mm. I could not fetch bolt the Tarmogoyf. Yeah. Because it would become a three four. Right. Uh, so what I had to do was give up that first turn, untap, play a spire buff canal, gut shot, bolt the Tarmogoyf. Awkward. Because I just had no way, I wasn't going to be able to kill my opponent quickly enough that the Tarmogoyf wouldn't matter. The Tarmogoyf would get huge. This was my only opportunity to kill the Goyf. Gotta get it off the board? I had to get it off the board. I think, like, I'm convinced it was the right play, and I did win that game because the Tarmogoyf didn't kill me, and I had time to Phoenix my opponent. Right. But Tarmogoyf is a very real threat, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it doesn't die to red removal most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one key to beating the Phoenix deck. That's why Grixis Death Shadow has seen a resurgence. Yeah. Big creatures that don't die to red removal, as long as you can answer Thing in the Ice, because this is how Phoenix covers itself. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, each of the things, like, like smashes a different plan. Right. Um. But big creatures that can't get bolted are a pretty big part of yeah. the, the puzzle here. Absolutely. Yeah, and also a uh, creature that I think is really underrated right now in modern is scavenging news. Sure. You know, I'd, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if... I haven't looked, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm if we're seeing three scavenging uses in all of these uh, green-black Probably. Decks. There's not very many playable threats that the green-black decks have access <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> scavenging news definitely fits the bill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that card is, it's not a good turn two play, like Tarmogoyf is, mm-hmm. but it's a phenomenal turn, you know, four play Yeah, a lot of the time. So In turn two, it can, on the play, it can protect you against the Phoenix is happening, but it also probably just gets bolted. Yeah, that's kind that's of the, the problem. The, the heavier consideration is that, you know, when you play it, especially against Phoenix, you want to be able to bolt their Phoenix and then eat it immediately to get your value. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's take a look at this. Uh, so this yeah. was a strong build. Yeah, so Jonathan yeah. Orr, second place at Philly. I, I think this is kind of the baseline build going forward from mm-hmm. here. A little surprising to see no main deck Nile spell bombs. Yeah. That's one of the things that sort of was pushing me towards the deck is that you can just run a couple main deck Nile spell bombs. You don't want to be Jund anymore because blood braiding into Nile spell bomb is not an exciting turn. Yeah. It's but the worst, but honestly, it's, not great. It, it's main, the main deck here is set up pretty reasonably well. Like Phoenix itself is kind of a big problem, but these Kalidas's main deck give you a plan yeah. there. I mean, yeah, and you have a. I think that you have a lot of good options going into the late game that allow you to to play a late game against mm-hmm. the Phoenix deck because kind of the concern is that oh they're just going to be able to get their Phoenixes back over and over again. Yeah. And that's bad. But if you, you know, if you can like play Cletus and then bolt their Phoenix, it's gone. If you can, and then you have just have a, a scavenging ooze and killer things, it's, right? You know, th- that's right. what's important. See, so, yeah, I guess those five, you know, three oozes, two Cletuses. Mm-hmm. You're probably still a little bit of a dog game one to Phoenix, just because the Phoenix plan, like the card Arclight Phoenix, is so good against mid range decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then post board, I think you do bring in enough hate, and this is one of the few decks where I think bringing in hate is an excellent thing to do. Yeah, for um, sure. Because the hate isn't 
The hate still feels like it fits with its game plan. Right. Like the hate is stuff like Spellbomb. You still draw a card. Yep. You know, uh, and you know you want cards, and your cards are good in this deck. So yep. also Liliana of the Veil is incredible against Phoenix. Yeah. Just the fact that it minuses to kill thing in the ice, like on curve when you're on the play. Yeah. Um, and even like on the draw if you're depending on what's going on especially if you've gotten thought seized it's really hard to flip thing in the ice turn three yeah yeah yeah. so liliana the veil minuses to kill a thing in the ice and then just puts both players way down on cards in hand and cards in hand is what phoenix works that's what they need so the like lily coming down is one of the scariest things for a phoenix player yeah Um, and so that's why why golgari is buying its way back into the format well good yeah I mean, I'm not ever excited to play Golgari. Look, Tarmogoyfs are like 50 bucks right now. I should probably buy some Tarmogoyfs. <laughs> um, yeah. um, I don't know if it's an upward trending card, though. Probably but, not. Um, but yeah. It just like feels really low. Oh, no, right? yeah, for sure. It's like um, a historically expensive card. Historically and, $100. Yeah. Now it's 50 <laughs> Feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. Not Probably not an upward trending card. No. Arclight Phoenix, not. though. Arclight, well, until something gets banned. Uh, true. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. So, so what do you think about the possibility of Faithless Looting getting banned at some point, maybe in the future? So putting aside concerns of Modern Horizons and New Mulligan Rule and stuff, like, what do you think about the possibility of Faithless Looting getting banned at some point? Can I mean, you, so, can you rephrase the question? Well, okay. <laughs> so, so just to like put everything in context, you yeah. know, the, a lot of the noise is Faithless Looting is so busted. Look at what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, all these Phoenix decks, all these Dredge decks. Yeah. Um, it, it It's all thanks to Faithless Looting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess maybe I... Like, do I think it's possible that it could be banned? Or do you think what do I think about... Do you think it should be? What do you think would happen if it does? Um, I think it's fine. I don't think it should be banned. I think it's just kind of like the brainstorm of modern. <laughs> and uh, it's just like one of the things that adds consistency to decks. And I'm kind of generally against getting rid of cards that add consistency to decks. I think that, you know, if one effect becomes too powerful, if it is consistent, Mm -hmm. that needs to be taken a look at. But I'm pretty, like, pro-consistency in Magic. Yeah. And Faithless Looting to me is just like, it. the the card's sole purpose is to add consistency to the deck, it feels like. And it it kind of, like, does other things as well. I mean, dumping stuff into a graveyard is definitely not a nothing part of the card. No, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's being abused right now. Um, You know, not close. But I would rather play modern in a format where everybody's deck is, like, pretty consistent and powerful Mm -hmm. than to play modern in a format that was, like, Everybody's, or playing. everybody's just complaining about missing all their land drops. Right. Or, or, We're all playing, you know, like, flying out or whatever. Or Belcher or whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. I, yeah, I'm just like, I feel like I'm personally pretty pro-consistency and, and Faithless Looting adds that, so it's hard for me to be able to be saying, like, all right, let's get this out of here. Yeah. It's, you know, it's too good. Yeah, uh, you know, Brainstorm's clearly too good for Legacy, but I think that it <laughs> makes Legacy a good and fun format. Right, I was going to say, I don't think that comparing it to Brainstorm is, like, that good of an argument for this, because Brainstorm, like, is kind of a problem. Well, yeah, but if you think about it, the... The only difference is it's just one card, right? You know, and it's a whole card, it's you know, so card. that's insane. But it does the same broken 
thing. Right. And when you're putting a phoenix in your graveyard, that card difference kind of disappears. Yeah, right. Now it's, you know, and if you discard two phoenixes, then that's just better than your best brainstorms. Yeah. If, you know, it's... <laughs> so... Jeez. Uh, I don't know. I, um, I don't think that it should be banned. Yeah, I... I'd, I'd rather fix the format in other ways, I guess, would be my, my like, closing statement. I agree. And I know, you know, the two sides of the coin are, number one, if we ban Faithless Looting, we get rid of all the Faithless Looting decks. And then the argument there against that is, well, if we ban Faithless Looting, aren't we opening up a lot of room for other decks? I'm not confident that that is the case. I think it would be kind of a tragedy to remove the ability for people to play graveyard decks from Modern which is effectively what happens when you ban Faithless Looting. Yeah. Because um, it really holds those decks together. Yeah. And, you know, it would just kill Phoenix. I think it would just kill Dredge. Um, I agree. The, the hands you draw with Dredge that don't have Faithless Looting, and then to say, like, and you can also never Dredge into Faithless Looting. Well, it, it, <laughs> people don't recognize that Faithless Looting is so fundamentally important to Dredge's game plan long term mm-hmm. you don't you don't draw any cards after you start dredging right all of your like draws are through dredging so, so you and never they, can do a multiple dredge so without... yeah without faithless looting dredge becomes dredge a lot in this one turn yeah and then i'll dredge once a turn forever yeah. you know and that that's just not that's just not as powerful as we know dredge to be dredge mm-hmm. is powerful because you can turn two the cathartic reunion and then turn three draw three cards, dredge three times that turn through yeah. your draw step in the Faithless Looting, and and that is what pushes it into, like, holy cow, where did all this power come from, you mm-hmm. know? It's, you know, it, the, the card having flashback is so huge to why it's good in that deck. Yeah. Um, and also why it's good in Phoenix, like, the fact that it, like, I think the flashback is probably secretly the most broken part of the card. Yeah. It just gives you a long-term plan when I'm playing against a controlling deck in Modern, I just know, like, I can stay on five lands all game long. Right. That's that's yeah. really good. But with that, you know, but it's just, just adding consistency. Right. It's, it's adding consistency. And I, I think it would be a huge detriment to Modern to just say, like, you really can't play graveyard decks anymore. You want to build around Vengevine? You, you can't. Mm-hmm. You want to build around Gorio's Vengeance? You can't. Right. Um, none of these things are things that you're allowed to do anymore. And I think that's going to cut off more avenues for creativity and stuff. So I think if Dredge and Phoenix just keep crushing Modern and something needs to happen, I think we're in a... Uh, KCI was... It, we were in a shoot-this-deck-in-the-head situation. Mm-hmm. Ban Clark Clan Ironworks because the existence of this deck being good in the format is not healthy for the format. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. I think Phoenix is... You know, it, it's really like a turn five-ish deck with a lot of resiliency and a lot of interaction. Dredge is less healthy, I think. It's a little more of a toxic sort of deck because of the burn plan. I think we're in more of a situation where if these decks really prove to be a problem, we should be shaving the power level of the deck rather than, like, cutting them off at the knees. And so I would think that that would be banning something like Manamorphose which is just always a problem in any deck it shows up in. Yeah. And then maybe Creeping Chill, because that just gives Dredge this, like, right. weird resiliency to yeah. most of the ways you fight it. Yeah, and, you know, I think that Wizards has shown that they're pretty pro, like, banning things to 
uh, hinder decks not to eliminate them. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of the only counterexample I can think of in recent history has been KCI. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I get it with KCI. Right. Um, It was just just too strong and too hard to counteract. And Um, bad for tournaments and... Yeah, and, 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 you know. (laughs) Unfun on camera. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, For sure. I guess that sums up my thoughts on banning Faithless Looting. Yeah, yeah. I think we should not. Uh, yeah, so that's a lot of modern stuff. We talked a lot about modern. We did. It's hard sure. not to. It's, it's, there's a lot. A little bit. Um, I'm, I don't need to talk too much about Standard, because I don't know how many of you, you people out there are particularly interested in it, but I have been working on it. Um, Standard is in an odd place right now. The decks are mostly similar to what we've seen before, mm-hmm. but aggro has been kind of just shunted out of the metagame. Mono red is just a little too inconsistent and underpowered to keep up with a lot of the stuff that's going on, especially with uh, Absorb being very heavily played. Right. And mono white has been... I I tried playing some mono white. I don't know. Part of it is probably that I just wasn't playing it as well as people who have a lot of experience with that kind of deck. Uh, I also just felt like a lot of people were very prepared for me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I wasn't doing anything particularly surprising. People were just, yeah. like, lightning striking my Benelish Marshals. And and kind of the other problem with Mono White that I discovered pretty late in the format was that it just, like, loses to the the other decks in the format that is piloted by a player who has a good understanding of what plan they need to take. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you know, if I'm playing against Sultai... I feel like a huge dog, especially if my opponent is like very good and understands exactly what needs to happen in order for them to win. Yeah. They're just going to be able to set that up and I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same goes for, you know, like Phoenix or Reclamation or just like any of the other popular decks in the format right now. Uh, all of the good players just like have a good plan for Mono White yep. and they're going to be able to execute it. And there's just not much that the Mono White player gets to do to say about that. Yep. That plan... Usually does not involve Fiery Cannonade. True. I just want to say, please stop playing Fiery Cannonade. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. It's just atrocious. <laughs> right. Uh, none of my red decks have that card in them. Yeah. Uh, it So, a lot of what's happening right now is... And Mono Blue Aggro is the aggro deck that exists. Yeah. Because um, it just operates in a fundamentally different way. You're not just trying yeah. to put together an exact package of aggressive cards and yeah. not draw too many lands. Like, and it does broken things, mm-hmm. and it gives players a lot of play. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that that definitely makes for a better aggro deck. Yeah. So a lot of what's happening in the format right now is Mono Blue exists, and then a lot of the other decks are trying to go over the top of each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Esper Control does that by just having efficient removal spells and Teferi being very powerful. Uh, Teamer Reclamation, no Nexus, Wilderness Reclamation value uh, with lots of expansion explosions and Niv-Mizzets has risen to be one of the most heavily played decks in the format. I played some of this deck. I played it first with Nexus of Fate in it uh, because it was important to be able to do that against some of the more aggressive decks. But just just because, like... Being able to cast a big explosion because, like, if you untap with Wilderness Reclamation and now I can explosion for a whole bunch, that doesn't actually work if you're facing down, like, eight points of power of creatures and right. you just die. Yeah. Uh, so 
But what this deck does very well is go over the top of other decks like Sultai and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's quite good at that. The just Wilderness Reclamation plus Chemistry's Insight is really good broken package. Yeah, yeah, and it you know you can build your decks. I think in a lot of different ways that mm-hmm. we might not even have explored yet with those cards. I am a little tilted when I look at these lists. Okay. Apparently, it's universally accepted that you play two opts. So this deck is named after a card. <laughs> okay. It's, it has, like, an awkward three-color mana base. Mm-hmm. You want Gross Spiral on turn two every game. Yeah. It's incredibly important. You're playing Niv-Mizzet, and you're playing Search for Ascanta. And, and, you're, and we're running two ops? Well, it's just two ops. Two ops? It's like the best card in the deck. <laughs> Whoa. So, I, when I was playing this deck, I, I just put in four ops. And every hand when I didn't have an opt, I was just like, God, where's my opt? Right. I want to cast an opt so badly. Yeah. I'm looking at this list and I'm, I see two ops. And then down below it, I see two fiery cannonades. Easy swap. And Chris is over here just like... <laughs> it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in... So in Arena right now, where I've been playing most of my matches, mm-hmm. um, aggro has completely disappeared. Interesting. Um, which makes it very easy to cut the fiery cannonades or, you know, substitute them with non-removal spells. Sure. I think in real life there's probably a little more stuff that you want to kill with fiery cannonade. But boy, playing those games against mono blue and they just have a siren storm tamer in play... And so your your fiery cannonade kills like one guy and then leaves their their merfolk trickster with a curious obsession and their siren storm tamer in play. Right. Like great great sweeping boys. Like <laughs> we still got a mess on our hands. I have been interested in going over the top with a very different deck. Oh yeah. So you walked in on me. Uh, playing, I sure did. Playing the end of a match with this one. Very similar to Adrian Sullivan's deck. Uh, that he wanted GP winning deck, yeah. Yep. Niv-Mizzets? Four, four, four Niv-Mizzets. Four treasure maps. Four treasure maps. The deck. That's the deck. Yeah. The rest of the cards around that are ancillary. Yeah, this yeah. deck definitely plays four ops. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you got to make that treasure map on turn two. Exactly. Niv-Mizzet, people just aren't prepared for this card right now. Okay. Um, despite it being, uh, you know, you having three in the 75 of these team reclamation decks that are getting to be relatively popular... I it comes down and you win the game yeah a lot especially when I've also had games where my opponent killed the first one I just immediately you know they exchange <laughs> drew me four cards and I cast another one right yeah and especially if you're less likely to play against mono white then substituting some cards from your control deck for this like incredibly powerful mid to late game package is less of a cost. And it actually benefits you against the most heavily played aggro deck because the only way for, like, the best way for a control deck to beat mono blue aggro is to resolve the Niv Mizzet because that's just really difficult for them to deal with. Yeah. I've been really happy with this deck so far. Um, It's, you know, Jeskai Control, we got a lot of Deafening Clarions. Um, changes from Adrian Sullivan's list that have, I think, significantly improved the deck. Um, Absorb is just huge in a deck like this, mm-hmm. where you just get to buy time against those aggro decks that you've weakened your game against. Yeah. And Quench is surprisingly good. Oh, okay. I've noticed that some people are starting to play Quench more in Mono Blue. Okay. 
Um, that's but I kind of I'll, disclaimer the yeah. the lens in which I've been viewing standard lately has been under the context of best of ones. Ah, uh, so you want so a little more general? Yeah. So stuff. it's probably pretty different in in, mm-hmm. in best of three. But sure. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been mostly observing standard through that perspective, yeah. which I'm sure does a lot of strange changes to card selection. And stuff, yeah, but. and hard to pin down exactly what. I I haven't been spending much time with Best of Ones. Yeah. Our knowledge of Standard right now is probably like significantly different because we've just like <laughs> we're just focusing on two different formats. I think I'm. Yeah. I, I think it probably is, and it is yeah. it is definitely a little frustrating to go on Twitter and have to like figure out if this Standard deck is for my Standard or not. Oh yeah yeah yeah, for um, sure. But so Quench in this deck in particular is quite good because the sequence of turn two treasure map, turn three, mm. I can activate my treasure map and Quench. Yeah. It's a lot better than I can activate my treasure map and syncopate for one. Um, yeah. Just because that doesn't always catch what your opponent is deciding to do on that turn. And, yeah. and people tend to play around syncopate out of decks like this a little more than they play around Quench. So. Yeah. So I've been pretty happy. I've swapped out, you know, the original list that I was working from had Lava Coil's main deck, but I think Shiv and Fire is actually the the preferable game one removal spell, uh, especially for a deck like this. I just don't care about killing stuff like Rekindling Phoenix. I don't have to because I have the luxury of, like, you cast that Rekindling Phoenix, it is now time for me to cast Nifemizit. Right. And so I don't have to worry about mid-game threats very much. I, I just worry about things with curious obsession on them and, and that sort of thing, yeah. which is why I Shiv and Fires, I have like a demystify in my sideboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're just and targeting... Deafening Clarence is great. And Deafening Clarence is really good. I think it's better than Kaya's Wrath at the moment. I see that, for sure. Especially in a deck where you've made the decision, like, I don't care about Carnage Tyrant because I'm going to play this Niv-Mizzet and kill you with it. Yeah, yeah, Nice 7-6. Yeah, yeah. I think also, you know, I am sort of hoping that the percentage of Sultai in the field is a little lower than it was at the Mythic Championship. Uh, Vivian Reed is a very difficult card for a deck like this to beat. Um, I've really got to counter it uh, if it comes into play. I don't have a lot of good answers to it, and it answers Niv-Mizzet. And, right. I mean, I am playing a couple dive downs. And I'm very close to cutting all of my non-Niv-Mizzet creatures and still having two dive downs in my deck. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. That, <laughs> and that's that's one of the huge drawbacks of the deck is because you're so focused on treasure maps, you can't really play Crackling Drake mm-hmm. because it just doesn't work with the paying a mana every turn. You, right. you don't get an opportunity to cast it. So the deck's running a couple of Enigma Drakes as early, like, interaction slash threats, and they're really just not very good. And I kind of want to sub them out for a little more counter magic or removal or something, but the versatility where it's just never a dead card makes me... I, I can't quite figure out which direction I'm supposed to go if I do sub them out. And having a couple more creatures to protect with Dive Down isn't terrible, but it... Honestly, for me, it's probably better to not give myself the opportunity to spend my dive down and force me to save it in my hand for yeah. when I do cast the niv Right, right. For sure. Because um, it's just game ending there yeah. a lot of the time. And like you There's, want... That's the combo is niv plus dive down. Right. And you want to protect your... They, they aim a four-mana removal spell at your Enigma Drake. You obviously want to cast the one-mana spell that counters it. Right. But there's four niv in this deck. You're going to draw one. And you're going to want to untap with it. And I think dive down is good, even if you end up with no other creatures in the deck. So 
Makes sense to me. So we'll see. I do feel like I am making a little bit of a leap of faith in choosing this deck because it's so off the radar. It's mm-hmm. definitely not just me picking up is it Phoenix and going to a modern tournament. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and there is a lot of equity that you can get out of mm-hmm. that, for sure. Um, I, I've found that if you are looking very closely at a uh, relatively stagnant standard format, mm-hmm. which you are, and making a lot of your own inferences and designing a deck that you understand how it fits into the metagame very well, yeah. then you're just going to be able to play your games very well because you have that understanding and experience with the deck. And and that kind of equity is much, much more valuable than um, playing the quote-unquote best deck. Because if you look at the... like you know, the average win percentage of a archetype against the field, mm-hmm. you know, you'll you'll typically look at numbers that are roughly like, okay, the best one's like 55 against the field, and yeah. then the second best one's like 54 against the field or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you translate that into, you know, okay, so what deck do I want to play? Your win percentage with a deck is not going to match those percentages. If you're a good player, your win percentage with a deck is going to be significantly higher than those percentages, first of all. And the increase of your average win percentage with a particular deck can be much more or less based on your experience and your play style and mm. your, like, general habits and stuff. So, you know, like, if a control player, like, looked at that layout of, like, okay, these are all the win percentages of all these decks against the field, and the best one was, you know, mono-white or something, they still shouldn't play mono-white because right. their win percentage with mono-white is going to be, like, about 55%, but their win percentage with... Esper control could be like seventy percent. <laughs> you know what a terrible decision to make to, to, <laughs> to, to play, play auto the, the best right? deck. Yeah. yeah, of course. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. I think that a lot of the percentages that people are throwing around, especially lately, are very misleading in many, many ways. So, I'd be careful with stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I like that you have this niche deck that you're very familiar with and feel like is well positioned against the format. I think that's a, a great place to be. I. I'm hoping so, especially because this is a team tournament and Mike and Lee are trusting me to make the right choice here. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> well, good. But I, I'm I'm feeling good about it. And I honestly would recommend to other people who are playing standard this weekend, like okay. try this deck out, practice with it, because it's not it's not the hardest deck to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, standard control decks are relatively easy to play yeah. because your opponent has to put the threats on the table and you get to choose how you respond to them. And, you know, this deck, one of the reasons that I like playing it is because I like having a cheat code in Standard. Um, and so that's, I think that's why Teamer Reclamation is good. I think that's why this deck is good. Um, putting down, if you massage the game into a place where you resolve a Wilderness Reclamation, you're way ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Niv-Mizzet. You get the game to a point where you get Niv-Mizzet into play in a good spot. Even if that's just like getting a Mizzet in play, and I have a mana up to Shiv and fire against Mono Blue. Yeah, like even if Great. they deep freeze me, I'm like decimating their board. Right. So that sort of thing is like having that button you can push and be like, this card ruins this game for my opponent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think playing a deck like that right now in standard is really good, and and make some of your decisions in game easier. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, good. Yeah. So that's where I'm. That's where I'm at on standard right now. All right. So for our Patreon question of the week, Lee asks, "How do you get back into a game mentally after a long judge call? Call out to Collins, who has had a lot of these. <laughs> I have had a lot of long judge calls. Yeah. I mean, 
there's a lot of factors to this question. Mm-hmm. And there I think that I can immediately identify at least two main like elements of this. Yeah. So th- one of them is um the emotional element. Mm-hmm. Sometimes judge calls happen under the umbrella of arguments are happening and that can be emotionally taxing and you know people don't like arguing generally so it's sometimes you're in that can put you into a, a mental headspace that is not good for you know, making technical decisions yeah. that magic requires. Yeah. So, uh, you know, getting flustered, I think, is like a good way to like identify it. You you want to try to avoid getting flustered after a long judge call, um, mm-hmm. generally, because when you're flustered, you're just not going to be able to operate efficiently. Yep. And you know how to not have that happen to you is going to be it varies so much from person to person. Mm-hmm. For me, I generally don't get flustered, but that comes from like you know experience in tournaments in general, and that just like mm-hmm. gives me you know enough you know experience to be able to be like, okay, this isn't going to be a big deal long term. I can just go back to doing the thing that I know how to do, which is play magic. Yeah. The other element that's important in this is it's I I like to use the the blackjack or the the counting cards example where mm-hmm. uh if you have like a running count of when you're counting cards um and you have like that running number that you keep on like adding or subtracting to mm-hmm. while you're counting cards it's really easy for somebody to flip over the next four cards and be able to say what's the count now and you just like you know you add or subtract to your current count and then you've got the answer mm-hmm. that concept applies really well to what you need to be doing mentally in order to keep up with what's going on in a game of magic yeah. where you you know if you look at a snapshot of a board state with no like prior context it can be really difficult to parse what's going on but if you've been playing that game since the beginning you have a really excellent idea of what's going right. on this is why asking for advice in team tournaments often doesn't go that well absolutely yeah and that's a big pretty big trap that a lot of people fall into is that they are there's this really really difficult decision to make and you you nudge your teammate and you're like hey what's the play here and they look over at this crazy board state or whatever yeah. and you're like what which one is right i and can't process their, all of this their answer just isn't going to be helpful a yeah. lot of the time but yeah so that when you're in the long judge call mm-hmm. um you need to make sure that you remember your count for the game <laughs> If we're using that metaphor, you need to make sure that throughout that long judge call, you don't forget what's happening in the game. Yeah. And it's certainly happened to me where I, I'm in this you know, long judge call or whatever. And then I look back at the board and I was like, I have no idea what I was thinking about. <laughs> so and something that you can do to uh, counteract that is, you know, when when you call a judge, just try, try to remember like two to three important things that you have been keeping a track of mm-hmm. about the game. Like, try to remember, like, what your plan is. Yeah. And, you know, the, like, if you were in the middle of a decision, what the two, like, options were for that decision. Like, if you remember those, like, key elements leading into the judge call, then when you go back to it, you can be like, okay, my plan is to do this, and I'm deciding between A or B here. Yeah. And then you're back in. Mm-hmm. I think that's, a, like, a good default. But it, it requires preparation you know you need to understand that you have to be like okay i need to remember this this and this and just like like have that in your mind so that when you come back to it you can you can get back there and you know i think that these skills are pretty easily developed through experience 
Um, you'll just, you know, playing in Magic tournaments teaches you a lot about that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, the more tournaments you play in, the more experience you'll have with a scenario, and and that's kind of that. But, but yeah. yeah, I have significantly less experience with like long judge calls that I just haven't had that many over the years for whatever reason. Um, I've, I've certainly had a couple, and I tend to... So I, I think the problem here, it, some of it comes from like checking out of the game during the judge call because you get a break and mm-hmm. you don't have to play magic for 10 or 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah, depending on how, yeah. Uh, and that's that's this. that's a long time. I think in my judge calls, I've tended not to check out of the game. I've kind of sat there and like thought about my play. Right. Like, what What's my next play? And like, I'm like, I keep my cards in my hand usually um unless when i'm talking with the judge i put my cards down but then i usually because i'm a person who needs to fiddle with something with my hands (laughs) yeah yeah um and so that ends up being i podcasted next to you long enough to understand (laughs) that's true (laughs) yeah yeah um i my my desk at work usually like has a bunch of like twisted up paper clips on the floor that i need to clean up every couple of days because if if i'm doing stuff i'm i'm fiddling with something with my fingers so yeah like i'll have my cards in my hand and that forces me to like look at my hand and keep thinking about my what my next play is going to be and sometimes during a long judge call i've like gone through and like 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 three iterations of plays that i could make and then like come back and like by the end of the judge call i've been like okay actually like i was wrong (laughs) and now that we've had i've had 15 minutes to think about it here is the play right yeah and you know some of those you know some of those calls are like not interactive with you sometimes it's your opponent that needs to talk to the judge a lot and you can just really just sit there and think through your plays and you know using that time can be beneficial sometimes you know yeah so sometimes if you're like playing a prison deck and you get a long judge call and you're just sitting there behind your ensnaring bridges anyways you can't really be right. engaging in this, <laughs> yeah. this way but um it's one way of dealing with it i guess yeah so yeah yeah cool um i think that's it for us this week covered plenty of stuff um Thanks so much to everybody for listening. If you want to find us, you can head to mtggrindcast.com. We've got links to our Patreon there. You can also go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, on our website, you can also find links to Collins' coaching services. And you can find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Bullen. Thanks so much again for listening. Really appreciate it. Have a great week. Peace.